Okay, we made it. Here we are. I think that was a lot of fun. Did anyone have fun? Yay! Yeah. yeah. So, Lolly, any lessons learned? I'm just kidding. Uh, no. That's okay. Okay. <laughs> no regrets. No regrets. Cool. So the the general formation gathering will start here. So we'll have like five or ten minutes to be together for everyone to like kind of pile in. And then once we're here, we'll have a brief uh, talk and then we'll gather for prayer. And then we'll end with like five or ten minutes of, of hanging out and then going back to ODU. And uh, yeah, so, so we'll be doing the talk portion here and I'm going to talk to us just on like orienting us to the semester like what can I expect does that sound okay okay let's pray in the, name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit amen come Holy Spirit Jesus you are welcome you are kind you are generous you are faithful be with me now come Holy Spirit uh, Father, we invite you in this room. We ask that you send your Holy Spirit upon us. We ask that you would show us more about who we are. You would show us the people we've been called to. That you would show us our purpose. That you would unify us. God, I ask that you would bless my words. That they might be yours. I ask that you would bless and anoint the ears of everyone listening that they might hear only your words. As this might be changing for us, that it might begin something deep in our hearts, and that you might change the trajectory of our lives. I pray this all in your most holy name. Amen. Father, and the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. So, uh, I'm going to begin with something that might come across like a, a little patronizing. Uh, I'm going to talk about, like, well, what is SPO? Uh, which sounds like an easy question to answer, but I think it has, like, some nuance, but more importantly, just, like, some development to it. And you might not be at, like, uh, the, the final portion, but that's, like, not anyone's fault. So if you find yourself, like, I relate to it in this way, but, like, you feel, like, a little bit, like, bad about it, I guess, you don't have to because it's it's actually just like where we're at and it's kind of uh, what we've been taught up to this point. So I'm going to lay out four ways that here it is that you could look at like SPO as in organizations. I go to Hammy and I find us there. I go to fourth meal 
something along those lines. So it's like a group of people hanging out, and like club is probably like the easiest way to group that kind of idea. Okay, but then maybe you get invited to like a men's or a women's night, or maybe you get invited over one of the households, or maybe you're invited into a men's or women's groups, and then it's like, okay, well there's like a group of men and a group of women that are like committed to each other in a way that like is bigger than just a club. And that's when it kind of moves to like a fraternity or like a sorority. And then maybe you come to like a worship night or like a morning prayer or a Lord's Day. And then you're like, okay, this is like Catholic. This is like a ministry. This is like part of campus ministry. Maybe like that happened early on. Maybe it happened later. But you make that third jump. And then... Um, and then you kind of see it as a movement. And so uh, a movement can be a hard word to define, so I'll just give like other examples. So like the Franciscans came from a movement of the church. If you've heard of the Franciscans, the Benedictines came from like a movement. The Jesuits came from like a movement. Dominicans came from a movement. And so if your parishes back home or in your diocese had like Dominicans or Benedictines or Franciscans or Jesuits, right? Or if you've heard of those groups of people, those all sprouted as movements. And so those movements happen because the church as a whole, right, goes through this like fluctuating like ebb and flow of like being a little bit like chunkier and it like gets a little bureaucratic and people get a little comfortable and then it leans out real quick, right? So Pope Benedict XVI, when he was Cardinal Ratzinger, wrote a really good book on the movements of the church, and he identifies five major movements. And he starts with the Benedictines in like the 8th, 9th century, moves to the Dominicans and the Franciscans, moves to the Jesuits, and then now he's identified a fifth movement that's called a lay movement. And so this is tough, right? Because it's like we've never seen that before. Like, Every movement so far has been like religious. So every movement has involved like men and women committing their whole lives in one moment to like a particular charism, to a way of living that like was used to lean out something that got like a little too chunky, that wasn't able to like go where it was supposed to go just because it was just like a little too big, right? And so part of it is this group called Sword of the Spirit which SPO came out of. And so it's not only Sword of the Spirit, but if you've heard of like Communion Liberation, perhaps, or like Opus Dei, or the Neo-Catechumenal Way, like all of these are lay movements in the church that have like operated as this like slimming, this trimming, this leaning of like our church. And that's happened about over the past 30 years. And so, by being in formation, you've been invited by God into this movement. Okay, this is where it gets tricky, right? Because if you see SPO as a club, then it's like, cool, I'll commit to this formation thing. And I'll go, it's only two hours a week, in the same way you would go to like psychology club, or the same way you would like show up to like a pro-life meeting, or the same way you would like show up to ping pong club. Like, those are all commitments to a club. And that's not bad, right? but there's something more for you here. And so, why are you here is a great question. And I would say that all of us are here because we've 
started to see more. We've started to see a vision for life that other college students, like how other people, right, other like adults and even seniors, haven't quite gotten a hold of. We've seen a vision for something more in life, and we're curious, and we want to start like tapping into that. Okay, and formation, the role of formation, is to like help make that happen, because more is a really cool thing to see. Uh, but a difficult thing to see and an even harder thing to attain. And it can't be done alone. So with that being said, there will come up later a uh, time where we'll talk about worship. Uh, and there's other charisms that, that SPO has embodied. But I want to say that right now, you can be confident that by being invited into a formation, you're not invited into a club. You are invited into a movement. And, and Tim invites you into a club. God invites you into a movement. And so I invite you wherever you are just to like see that. And like you don't need to like make the whole jump in one. Like if you see it as a club and you're like kind of shocked that it's a movement, it's okay. You can just see that like, okay, there's more there. And that'll be kind of fun. I hope that's kind of fun. Uh, because a call from God is a hell of a lot better than a call from Tim. Cool. Okay, here we go. So the goal of formation is to help you become a lifelong disciple by living out the charisms of SPO in your life. Okay? And you might ask that. What does it mean to be like a lifelong disciple? What does it mean to be like Jesus? And that could be answered a lot of ways. But what I'm going to say and what I'm going to propose is that we can see this semester kind of two things to like grasp at. So we want Jesus's vision for life and then we want Jesus's character. So we want to see the way Jesus saw and then we want to live the way Jesus lived. Okay? So the way I said that is like the two things we're going to focus on this semester is getting our story straight and playing the right game. Because I think if you play the right game, right, Someone who plays the game really well. Do you guys know who David Goggins is? Okay, so David Goggins is like an ultra marathoner. He was a Navy SEAL and like an Army Ranger, like all the package in one. And he's like doing it, man. Like he's going after it. But it's not like quite there, you know, because he doesn't have his story straight. And there are plenty of Catholics that have the right story but don't know how to play the right game. You can trust me on that one. And I have been and am in still some ways playing the wrong game. Every day when I sin, I like choose to play the wrong game. But you only like play the wrong game if you're hearing the wrong story. So what we want to commit to is hearing the right story and then having that flow into our actions so that we can play the right game. We want Jesus' vision for life and then we want Jesus' character so we can live out that vision. Okay. Everyone with me? Cool. Okay. Well, what is the story? Okay. Quick way to remember the story is L S S L. Okay.
Okay. So someone, yeah, we can we can spice things up a little bit. Um, what was it like at the beginning? What was it like in Genesis? Perfect. Yeah, a couple more adjectives. It was good. Yeah, God said it was good. Maybe two more. What was that? One more time. Oh, harmony. Yeah. yeah. Okay, that'll be good. And then what happened? How does the story go? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So then... Okay. So then you have a betrayal. Somewhere along the line... Everything was good, everything was harmonious, everything was perfect, and then we decided it wasn't enough. We decided what was available to us wasn't enough, and we had to fend for ourselves. We had to go get more. Okay, so then what happens? Okay, take us through a little bit of more sin, right? And we like, we like go and, and we like try to commit ourselves, and then we slip back, and we try and commit ourselves, and then we slip back, Right? And that reflects itself right, through like Abraham, through Isaac, through Jacob, through Joseph, through David, through Moses, back through Noah. Right? So the Old Testament is filled with this like God's commitment to us and then our betrayal from Him. Okay, and then what happens as the New Testament starts? Jesus is born. Jesus comes. God literally comes down. And and what does he do? He saves us. He saves us. And how does he save us? He dies. Jesus comes down. He dies yet. And he teaches us. He is born to teach. He heals. Jesus comes. He incarnates himself. He teaches. He heals. And then he dies. And then he resurrects. And it teaches us a really valuable lesson in that. Right? That unless a grain of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains but a grain of wheat with no life. Right? But Jesus shows us that from death, comes life. Right? So the way Matthew 10 kind of speaks this is it says, that there was a debtor who owed a lot of money. And I figured, as college students, right, we would all kind of know what that's like. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so when I came out of college, I had some student loans, right? And let's say I had a lot of student loans, right? And I didn't really have a plan for paying it back. And then someone says, hey, I got that. I got that covered. What would be my response to that? That'd be pretty hyped, <laughs> I gotta say. And then, and then, would I accept it or would I decline it? Accept it. But so this is where you kind of have like 
two portions of it, right? There are like people who who can't really accept it. And then you have people who like do accept it. Right? So then there's a response. Right? And our response is to switch the debts. So Jesus, as the perfect man, switches our debts as, as imperfect and turns the tables. So now we have access to eternal life. And that's like our hope. That is our hope. That we have access to eternal life and all we have to do is choose it. All we have to say is, is Jesus, I want that. Right? And that kind of brings us, right? To get our story straight, we have to see that there was love at the beginning and it's to love that will return. So God spoke this in my life actually through a different L word. He said there was like loyalty. And that was really important for me getting my story straight. I just had to know that like I could trust and that God has my back. That like God's going to be there for me through like real life. Like he's not just there for me like when I go to church on Sunday, when I say my rosary in the morning. Like God is there. Through thick and thin, through like good and bad, through everything. Like God's there and he has my back and he's not going to let me down. He's not going to leave me astray. And we'll kind of come back to that a little bit later. So you have like your story, right? But I wanted to tell you like there are other stories out there. And this isn't as easy as it looks. So I majored in philosophy. For those of you who don't know, I majored in philosophy, theology, and classics. So like stories are a huge part of like the major. So I wanted to tell you just some of the other stories that people have like manufactured throughout the years. Right? So I want to talk to you guys about nihilism, which is the idea that like your life has no meaning. Okay, maybe you guys have heard of some. Does someone know what existentialism is? Or has someone heard of it? Yeah, sweet. So existentialism, instead of your life having no meaning, your life does have a meaning, but you have to figure it out. It's up to you. Good luck. And it doesn't even like have to be a good meaning. It just has to be meaning. And as long as it's meaning, then like you're, you'll get through life. Okay, so then you have other things like, does someone, or have people heard of hedonism? Yeah. Okay, so hedonism, right? says that life's just all about pleasure, right? And then on the other side, right, maybe life's not about pleasure. We have stuff like stoicism. Stoicism says, like, do the hard thing all the time with no emotion, right? So it's like hedonism on one side, stoicism on the other, and Buddhism kind of falls in that too. And, like, it says, like, life is suffering, but, like, if you can find, like, a why for your life, then you'll get through it. It's a little bit more religious than existentialism, but not quite religious yet. And then, towards like the 18th, 19th century, you have things come up like logical positivism and relativism. And that says like, if you want to find meaning, you have to consult, rather than like how to live your life, you have to consult like how the world works, right? And so if you can like figure out how like life exists, like more like biology, chemistry, we're seeing like, a lot of these fruits actually, like engineering kind of stuff, like physics, and that's where like agnostic and atheism kind of find its breath. Um, like we can kind of tap into that. So you could like figure your life finds meaning through like uh, the world. 
And that's like a really hard one to define because it doesn't make much sense at all. But it's actually really popular. Because um, it brings certainty. That's the thing about that. It's like, well, if I can know it for certain, I'll follow it. And it's like, spoiler alert, you can't know it for certain. Um, and then you have something like Marxism. Right? Which kind of manifests itself in a lot of ways. But Marxism basically says that your story is like one of good and one of bad. You have like your workers and you have your capitalists. You have like your two sides and, and then like the two sides clash. And if the, the bad side does it well enough, they can suppress the good side. And if the good side does it well enough, they can overthrow the bad side. And like all of creation, all of like, yeah, all of society has been this like one constant struggle, right? So what I'm trying to get at is that like you can hear a lot of stories. And it's easy to say like, get your story straight, but that's actually like the hardest thing. Because throughout our day, I would say all of us can slip into like one of these things, right? So I'm just gonna say that there's like four huge traps that I've seen that I've fallen into, right? You can think life's about pleasure, right? You have a tough week, it's like all I need right now is like a bottle of wine and some pizza, right? All I need right now is like Netflix. All I need right now is like my video games. All I need right now is my hobby. Like life is just overwhelming. Or we could say life's about money. Like gosh, once I get my degree, once I can like put my life in order, once I get that promotion, like that's gonna be set up well. Then I'm gonna start making a killing and then life will find its meaning. Life will get good, right? Or we can say it's about fame, right? Like reputation. Like if that person thinks of me well, if like this group thinks of me well, if I'm followed by these people, then like life's good. And then like honor, like that's kind of actually the closest one. But like Stoics would say like, if you can defend your country, like that's honorable. There's this guy called Melodus in the, in the Roman stories who is said to have gone to an emperor and he said, me and all my men will die for Rome. And he goes, I don't believe you. So he takes his hand and he puts it in this fire and he puts it in until the whole thing falls off because of the flame. And then he just pulls it out. He's like, I will die for Rome. It's like, oh, you know, good for you. And then it said that the emperor was so like uh, shocked that he actually just slipped back. He was like, okay, don't mess with him. Uh, so, like, we could be tempted to think, like, honor. Like, that kind of, like, go get him attitude is enough. I think that's where, like, a David Goggins would lie. Okay, but that's not our story. And so, uh, what I want to say is that I've seen, at least, kind of uh, two trends kind of rob our Catholic faith of its like of its purity so I talked about it getting like a little fat right and then it gets really lean and I think this is what's made it a little fat so I would say it's these two ideas right there's one consumerism I think if we're writing we can like write these two down because I didn't put them on the outline so you have one consumerism and then two domestication so the church in some way has been domesticated and, it, and, it's, and its members have fallen into this consumerist idea. So, like, I went to church every week growing up. And then I'd go to tea with my grandpa. And do you know the first question 
that be asked at a table of men and women who go to church almost every day for most of us and every week for all of us. How is the homily, guys? Like, how do we like the homily? And then we talk about that and then kind of like crap on the priest for a little bit if we didn't like him or like glorify him if we really did like him. And that would be, can anyone relate to that? Like, that would happen a lot. How many people have like talked about their priest at the dinner table before? Okay. So this is like consumerism at its core. It's like, I go to church and I get home and I don't realize it, but the question I'm asking is like, huh, did that guy perform well for me? Father, you did a really good job up there doing the thing that you did again. And your talk was really nice. It's like, no, not the point, right? And so we've fallen into this trap that like, the point is this like, what can I get from it? And so I'm going to say that the response to that is what can I give? And so we'll, we'll get into that. And then the second thing is this domestication. So part of like the, the luxury, right, of like building a church has been that there's a lot of Catholics in America. And we like have a lot of home bases. We have a lot of bases in our camps, right? In Ohio, how many churches do we have? I mean, like, there was one week where I went to, like, four different churches. Like, how great of a luxury is that? But part of it is, is become domesticated. So it's been, like, because of that consumerism, it's, like, about me, and then, like, it's, like, a cool little club. Right? And if you're part of the club, that's great. If you're not, maybe you can join in some churches. Maybe you can't in other churches. But, like, most churches aren't going to try and find you. And so those are, like, the two things that we're responding to. And I'm going to say that, hopefully this is catchy enough, we want to be three-dimensional Christians. Okay. So, like, my family, right? We go up. We're 1D Christians. What does that even look like, right? That, like, in some sense, doesn't exist. I mean, does 1D exist? Like, how do you draw a dimension? Is that, like, 1D? No, a line would be 2D. A point? Yeah, so if you're a one-dimensional Christian, in some sense, like, you barely exist. Yikes, that might be a little rough. But in some sense, if you're 1D, you don't even exist. And it's like, you're just in a relationship above. You're just in a relationship with God. And part of the reason you don't exist is because it's not, like, of significance. It's just, like, uh, it's very compartmentalized, is what I'll say. Okay. So, but our relationship up in its purity and its like origin and its ideal is that we like, we go up to God both individually and corporately and we spend time with him. We're in relationship with him. And so that's our idea is that for whatever reason, most likely because he loves us, God has chosen us, each individually. He chose you. He chose you. And he said, I want a relationship with you. And we commit in that to, to spending time with him every day. And so part of it, right, is that trap, right, that we can fall into. It's just like, I don't, I don't have time for this. Another trap is like, well, I don't need to take time for this. Another trap is like, well, does God want relationship with me? Is that real? Like, how could he want a relationship with me if he, like, created this whole thing? If he, like, set up this whole game? Another lie is, like, 
Well, if he did set up the game, we could just not be worthy of it. Right? And I just want to get those on the table right now as lies. And so the first two weeks after this, sorry, in two weeks after this, and then in our next two formations, we're going to hit on what it's like to go up. We're going to talk about our identity as sons and daughters. Because one of the last lies here is that it's about the amount of time. Right? So, like, I spend five minutes with God every day. It's like, what other relationship do we qualify with time? Like, like Michael and I are good friends. We spend ten minutes together every day. Like, when's the last time anyone heard that? Like, oh, yeah, Danielle's great. I spent, like, seven minutes with her yesterday. No relationship do we qualify with time. Okay? So we're not going to qualify our relationship with God we're not going to qualify our relationship with God in time. But, you know, time is significant. Like, if I don't spend any time with Michael, then chances are we're not really good friends. But I will say that what this is about is, is it's finding trust. And so that's going to be my last point. I wish I didn't save it for last. Maybe I shouldn't have saved it for last. Who knows? So I'm going to move on to in, right? So you have up and then you have in. That's like this group right now. So... If you're like here right now, you're at least a two-dimensional Christian, which means you have some gravity to you. You can like stick a claim on like you're something bigger than than a, a dot, right? So maybe we've like worked our way to a line. And 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 what's what's part of in is like this community. And so community is a bit of a buzzword, but what I'll say about it is that. When you go in, you find out things about God that you didn't know before you went in. So I would say that a lot of my buddies told me growing up that you are the sum total of the five friends you spend the most time with. And I was like, well, that doesn't have to be the case. But what I will say about it is that if you put yourself around five really solid people who hear the same story and play the same game, it's going to be a lot easier for you. Will it be impossible if you're not doing that? If, like, your five best friends are, like, playing a completely different game and hearing a completely different story? Like, no, it'll for sure be possible. Anything's possible for God. But it makes it a hell of a lot easier if you, like, play the right game and if you hear the right story. Okay. So uh, let me go back because I skipped the practical of the up. Uh, the practical for up is to hear from God every day, spend time with God every day, and then to surrender to Him corporately in worship together. So that finds itself in its like peak in the Mass, and then scattered throughout your day. And especially in like morning prayer and in formation. We'll have those chances, right? But in mass, in morning prayer, at formation, through every activity that we do throughout the day, we want to continually be surrendering. Okay. And then our in is like evaluate who our five closest friends are. And are those people making it a more conducive environment for me to hear the right story and play the right game? Okay. So you'll see in parentheses, right? Uh, what we have here is the fruits. 
of what we're doing. So if we go up, we're gonna we're gonna correct this. The fruit of going up is is a correction of sin. The fruit of going up is that we're able to trust God in a way that we weren't able to trust him before. And so we're able to take risks. So like I took a risk to become a missionary. I took a risk to continue to be a missionary. You took a risk to be in formation. You took a risk to surround yourself with people who hear the same story and play the right game. Right? So we've all taken risks and God has more. There's more for us, but we have to take more risks to get there. And we're only going to be comfortable taking those risks if we're, if we're hearing the right story. I'll tell you a little. So um, when you go down the stairs, imagine uh, you're like starting to go this way, right? Because they go up and then they go this way, right? Imagine you're like looking down the stairs and you have to jump and connect to the railing, right? Well, that was the privilege that I had this summer. I, is that image easy to understand? Okay, so imagine this is down 10 stairs, and this is the railing uh, on the above, this very railing right here. Okay, is that making more sense? So I'm on the bottom, and I have to jump and connect to the top, and then I have to pull myself over, right? Well, like, when I had five, so the first time we did it, right, we put like five mattresses below. When I knew and trusted the mattresses would catch me, I was like a lot riskier. Took the mattresses away, Tim took like 30 minutes to jump. It was like literally <laughs> unbelievable. But with the mattresses, Tim was like, <laughs> and then I just went for it. But you take the mattresses away, and it wasn't hard, but it wasn't easy. I did, both times. Um, but it was a lot harder the second time. And that's kind of what it's like, right? So imagine that, right? Just kind of like on the way down, it'll kind of like make the leaving process a lot harder. But just like imagine jumping to the top of that and be like, yeah, that would be a lot easier with five mattresses. And that's the way life gets. Okay. And then when we surround ourselves with good people, with people that are hearing the right story and playing the right game, we're able to connect and it makes a more conducive environment. It makes us easier to follow. It makes it easier for us to follow the Lord and to do those two things. Okay, now we go out, right? So I said like nihilism, existentialism, hedonism, Stoicism, Buddhism, rationalism. Like, everyone on campus is hearing a story and playing a game whether they like it or not, right? And so what we can avail to them is that, like, there's only one correct story. There's only one story. And we're going to do this with touch. But, like, what God promises us is that he has called us, and he hasn't called us to be like us. He's called us to go to the nations, And so because of that, he's like appointed us to bear fruit and to bear fruit that will go into eternity. He's invited us to like walk throughout our day with an eye for someone who like maybe isn't hearing the right story or is playing the wrong game and who's frustrated with it. If you've noticed, like that's why a lot of conversion stories begin with a tragedy. It's like I almost died and I thought to myself, church would be good to go to on Sunday. It's like, no, no one's ever had that thought. I've thought, like, maybe I'm playing the wrong game. Maybe this whole time I've been pursuing something that's not worth it, right? And so looking for the opportunities like that throughout your day, and that will be going out. And I'll end with this. Jesus' character, right? So we have God's vision, right, which is up, in, and out. And that makes us 
three-dimensional, and in some sense that makes us, right? In some sense that makes us like exist, like in reality. Nothing in reality is two-dimensional, right? But, right, is that true? Is there anything two-dimensional? Technically, like everything has a dimension, right? Yeah. Joe's a civil engineer. <laughs> he knows this stuff. <laughs> okay. So, so that's what I'm saying, is that when we're one-dimensional, we have no gravity. When we're two-dimensional, we're getting closer. And when we're three-dimensional, in some sense, we begin to exist. Right? And so that's what I'll say about hearing the right story. That went a little longer than I expected. But I'll end with these kind of two stories. I watched... Has anyone seen 1917? It came out last year. Yeah, that's a good review. Okay, so 1917 tells the story of two young men in World War I that have a mission. And they go and they have to accomplish said mission. I won't spoil it, but um, what I realized after I watched it is that a lot of men didn't come home from World War I. And like the con of that, the negative, right, is that like a lot of men didn't come home. That seems obvious to everyone, right? But a pro of it, like something positive about it is that a lot of men didn't come home. And so a lot of men that did come home knew that there were men that didn't come home. Did that make sense? I'll say it one more time. The positive of it was that a lot of men didn't come home and the men who did come home knew there were men who didn't come home. And in some sense, our generation and the generation before us has been robbed of that. Like, I don't know anyone personally that has died for a cause. I've known plenty of people that are passionate. I know a lot of passionate people. I've never met anyone who died for their cause. Right? In 1917... It was just like, hit me at the right spot at the right time. And it said like, hey, Tim, your life isn't your own. Like, hey, Tim, if you want to play the right game, is that unless a grain of wheat shall fall upon the ground and die, it remains but a grain with no life. But if it falls upon the ground and dies, it will bear fruit. And that's what we want with our life. Right? And so sacrifice is what we were made for. And the whole transition here from son to Lord is like hearing the right story and then making the sacrifice. And what that sacrifice means is that our life isn't our own and that we can give everything. Okay. Now one more image for the trust and then we'll, we'll spend some time thinking. Zachary will set up for worship and then we'll come here and we'll, and we'll worship. Um... One of the most powerful images I wanted, that I've gotten in my life, I want to share with you. Uh, and it was on my way to go skydiving. That day I actually didn't get to go skydiving because the clouds were positioned weird. So I wasn't able to go. But on the way, I was thinking, like, what's holding me back? Like, why don't I want to jump? Right? The leap, right? Why don't I want to, like, take a leap? It's going to be a ton of fun. And in some sense, I like skydiving better because it's, like, very, like... Uh, it's like actively passive, right? You have to fall out. But everyone who's fallen out knows that it's not a passive activity to fall out. <laughs> okay. 
So imagine you're here, right? And you, you have an instructor that's strapped to you. I determined there were like two things I wanted to know about it. I wanted to know, one, that he knew how to, how to skydive. Uh, if I didn't know that he knew how to skydive, I would have been very frustrated. Okay, but two, I wanted to know that he was good, right? But goodness alone wasn't enough, and then competency alone wasn't enough either, right? If he was competent, but he wasn't good, he could have like unstrapped me, see ya, sucker, right? And then if he was like good, but not competent, that was me. I mean, I'm, I'm a good guy, I think. <laughs> but I wouldn't do anyone favors skydiving. So this is what God spoke to me, is he said, I'm both good and competent. So imagine yourself in your life on an airplane, right? Nihilism says life has no meaning. Do you know what that means? The airplane crashes and you're gone. Oh, yay! How fun is that? Um, existentialism says, like, you're your own skydiver. You're going solo. Okay, that's great. But what if I don't know how to skydive? And it's like, don't worry about it. You'll figure it out on the way down. It's like, that's not very happy either. Stoicism says, don't worry. Enjoy the jump. Right? In some sense, Buddhism says the same. Like, just jump. It's like, I don't have a parachute. It's like, great. And then, like, you can keep going. Like, rationalism and, and logical po positivism says, like, well, there's this, like, equation that you could have your instructor fill out, and maybe then he would know that, like, and it's like, no, that's not quite it either. Okay, so this is where I'll end, is that God is both good and he's competent. And so we're going to, like, have a chance to, like, offer our lives to the Lord tonight as we do, like, every moment of every day. And that's, like, something we can sit with. Is that he knows how to get us down. And he's good. He wants to get us down. And it will be the best ride of your freaking life. Okay? Being in the plane, it sucks. It's just kind of, like, cringy and anxious and, like, and that's where a lot of people are at. They're in the plane. They're like, I don't know what to do. Right? But the people on the way down, they're so free. They're just like, I already did it. Here we go. And that's like what God has for us. Is that kind of joy. That like no matter whether the ride's a little bumpy on the way down. Or whether it's like really smooth. is like, it's going to be an adventure. And we're going to land safely. And that's heaven. And so if we can fight to play the right game. And to hear the right story. Then... In the end, we'll get to the bottom, we'll be safe, and we'll know it's a hell of a ride. So right now we'll transition into worship, but uh, what we'll have is just five minutes to write down like one thing that like stood out. Like one, one thing that like may have jumped off the page.